0: The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hello, and welcome to the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Maurice Young. P.E., who's an engineer at underpinning and foundation Skanska, and we'll be talking mostly about deep foundations. I'm your host, Jared Green, and this is the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Maurice, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jared.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: No problem. I appreciate you being on here. I was really looking forward to our conversation. It's been a while since we've talked, but I'm glad that you could be here with us.
1: All the pleasure is mine.
0: So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about your career journey to date. And also tell us, what is it you do on a daily basis?
1: So it all started during my last year of college. I got an internship with underpinning and foundation scans, scans. and then I did a, uh, they have a small rotation program. So during that rotation program, you would do estimating, you would do engineering, design, operation, safety, and cost control. I did a little bit of that, and by the time my internship ended, I got a job offer with underpinning, and I stayed with them. I'm part of the design team, so what I do is submittals. uh, sometimes in-house. Sometimes I'm design. I help operations set up jobs. This very moment, for example, I'm, I'm doing some estimating and at times when they need me, I actually go to the job and, and I run the job.
0: The place where you got your internship, that's where you're working full-time?
1: That's where I'm working full-time. I do a little bit of everything. So even when I send an email these days, my signature says engineer. Because I was like, okay, what am I? Okay, I'm still I just sign engineer since I do a little bit of everything. Yeah. I talk to a lot of listeners that
0: are thinking about getting an internship, and it's great to hear what you just said, because I can't stress it enough. When you get an internship, that can be the start of your career. There are internships you intern and you say, well, I never want to do that again. And you kind of change, right? Or change a different company or a different field. But there's a lot of times where you go to the internship, you like what you're doing, they like having you there, and you get an opportunity to work full time. So that's awesome.
1: Thank you.
0: I understand, because I work with your company quite a bit, you're involved with Deep Foundations. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about the types of Deep Foundations you work on, so the ones you design and things of that sort. And there might be listeners that have no idea what Deep Foundations are. They could be early in their studies. So it'd be great if you could tell us more about what Deep Foundations are, why they're used, and what types there are.
1: Back in college, I had the Deep Foundation, the DFI uh, scholarship. So the DFI is an international association for all entities involved in Deep Foundations. So it could be from the design and or the construction of deep foundation and excavation. So all those companies get together and are all part of that association. Yeah, now the question is, what is deep foundations? Well, sometimes you cannot do the typical shallow foundation when it comes to building, right? For the listeners who don't know what the foundations are, it's the part of the building that nobody sees, but also the most important part of the building. Sometimes you can do a shallow foundation, you can do a footing, you can do a mat, so you use piles. It can be drilled or driven, you, you install them into the ground. So those elements provide some uh, load capacity through bearing or friction. I focus on, on micropiles, which are small diameter piles. I think that's the only thing small about them because it's, you know, setting up is pretty complicated and there's a lot that goes into them.
0: For context, what diameters are you usually looking at? Like what's the smallest diameter that you've seen on a job?
1: Well, I usually focus from six inches to 13 and three eighths. But these days, I mean, people tend to push the envelope a little bit and you end up having like 18 inch microphones. I like when it's around 12, 11 inches.
0: Are you doing limited access work or your work is still outside?
1: By outside, what do you mean?
0: Like when I think about micropiles or mini piles, sometimes it's inside of an existing building or you have to go in through a facade with a small rig. Then there's other times where you, know, you have an open field, you have plenty of headroom and you're still using small diameter elements.
1: Whenever we have an open field, it's I'm actually happy. Like, yes, it's open. It's Christmas. We're going to have a good time. Being in New York City a lot of time, we have uh, not a lot of headroom, so low headroom and we got to work with what we have.
0: There's a lot of different types of construction techniques for deep foundations. Be curious to hear a little bit more about those. What are you seeing? What's on the horizon?
1: Like you said, you know, you have a lot of different types, right? You can drive them, you can drill them, you can jack them, you can even screw them. And it really depends on the soil conditions, on physical constraints that you have. Like I said, I focus on micropiles. So for micropiles, I mean, you have different methods, right? It could be rotary. You can use a downhole hammer duplex system, overburden, you have a lot of different ways to do it. They can even use down-the-hole hammer water flush, which was interesting.
0: When are you using a system like that? What type of geology would make you go that route?
1: Actually, we've never used it. We use uh, air flush. I was reading a paper uh, by Donald Bruce, and he mentioned it. So I called him to talk about it.
0: And I'm sure he loved talking about it. I've heard him uh, many a times, especially at DFI conferences. I'd love to hear about a deep foundation project that you've worked on and how did it benefit your career?
1: There is one project that comes to mind. So I was working on it with a former colleague of mine, Matt Pertucci. It's a mind-blowing project. Picture this, right? You are in the middle of, of Manhattan, right? Midtown, and there is a 50-story building that the owner want to demolish and turn into a 70-story building. While he demolishes a building, you are in the basement retrofitting the foundation, right? You're installing 400 micropiles in the basement, middle of New York City. You have Metro North, are right next to you, and in the middle of the pandemic. So I think, yeah, that project is one of the most uh, impressive projects. I worked on it, and I learned a lot when it comes to, I think the first thing would be uh, planning. So there's this thing that I say, planning is underrated, but the plan is overrated, right? And what I mean by that is a lot of time, yeah, we spend some time planning, but we don't realize how important it is. So important to actually sit down and in this project, for example, before the job started, we got together with like a lot of great minds, right? Like uh, Teddy Savela, our VP, Andrew Burns, and we're just talking about the project. Okay, this is what we're going to do. So it was very complicated on paper, but we got it done and we we're very excited. The minute we got onto the job site, everything changed. So then you wonder, what do you need to plan? During that planning phase, we actually look at a lot of different scenarios. And when you get to the site, if something changes, it's easier for you to adapt and take a different route. Now, why is the plan overrated? It's because you spend some time, you got a plan. But then the plan can change at any moment. So don't just focus on it. Don't just say, well, we have to stick to the plan. No, it's not working. That's fine. Let's do something else. Just stay focused and remember what the ultimate goal is. So that's one of the things I learned. The other thing is teamwork, right? When we are over there, we all want the job to be done. We want it to be done well. And you have different parties. So it's not like, well, I'm the contractor. I'm just on my side. And the inspector is doing the own thing. No. We want the job done. We want it to be job done well. So in this in- instance, I uh, work with the inspector. For example, Greg Lucky, really smart guy. He would, of course, check everything we do. And sometimes, when there is like a certain issue, we would all get together, you know, and try to find a solution, right? And that's something that I think we have tendency to forget that hey, we're all part of the same team. Yes, different parties, but we all want the job done safely, and we want it to be done well. Another thing I would mention from that that I got from the job is how much knowledge you actually find in the field. So, as engineers, we went to school for that, but experience is very important, right? And a lot of time we have tendency to neglect all the people in the field. There is a, that pool of knowledge is just massive. So, I would you know spend time talking to the to our foreman Mike Miller. I tell him, hey, you know, this is what we want to do, but I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. And he's like, well, just get me this. I don't do that. So it's, we need to spend more time talking to the people in the field. Cause at the end of the day, like I have five, 10 years experience, but that person has been doing that for 20 years. It's very important to talk to them. That project, you know, we, from the design to coming up with some specific custom built rigs, it was crazy. Honestly, you know, you get there, it's daylight, and by the time you get out, it's night, because you're in the basement, you never see the sun. It was mad.
0: Uh, It's a good feeling when you're able to, you're working on something when it's nothing. You're putting together calculations, and then you're actually figuring it out in the field. It's a good feeling.
1: I'm not going to lie. You know, it was so hard at at times. I was like, maybe it's time for me to retire. Like, I don't know what am I doing, but it's got to be done.
0: So what kind of things change? You get to the field and things have changed. What's changed? The logistics and what kind of things change?
1: Everything. Okay, so again, that's the importance of planning. So we have a long-term goal. We know what we want to do. Install all the piles. Then we have some milestones. We have weekly goals. What we would do, Matt and I would sit down and then plan for the entire week. By the end of the week, this is what we have to do so that the other crews can keep working. Because at the end of the day, you know, cost is, is a driving factor. So we would come and we'd spend the whole time planning. Actually, we would even plan every day. So we plan for the week and then we would plan every day. Okay, tomorrow, this is how we're going to do it. This is what we're going to do. This is how long it's going to take. And then you get there in the morning and uh, the super tells you, well, you know, I think that's a good idea, but we won't do this today. We don't have time. We're going to do something else. The whole week, the planning that you did, yeah, it's gone. So, okay, what do we do now? You know, or sometimes some crazy stuff happened. You have 12 feet of headroom. Sometimes you have less than that, and it's just impossible. So what do you do? You no, you have to stop everything and then come up with an alternative.
0: Thinking about it's kind of stressful, right?
1: You see, just thinking about it, it was something else. Kudos to John Severa and Sons, at company. I mean, they, they did great. And kudos to, honestly, uh, all the crew, the laborers, the foremen, the operators, man, all really smart and talented people. So yeah, it wasn't easy.
0: One of the things that was uh, a big eye-opener for me early in my career was just seeing that like, you could design something, but there's so many different parties that are a part of that design being implemented. So you have your specialty foundation contractor, you have your excavator, you have all the trades associated with that, your general contractor. In some cases, maybe demolitions happen at the same time. So there's a lot of pieces and trying to put that all together is crazy.
1: I'm glad you mentioned all of that because it all happened at the same time.
0: Maurice, you know, when you think about it, engineers and engineering, there's always this focus on getting things right. And sometimes you can have this obsession with obtaining perfection. How do you resolve it?
1: Life is essentially imperfect. But when it comes to engineering, you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and and we agree that stakes are higher. We can't just go halfway, right? We have to do it right because people's lives are at stake. What's important is, I think that's also why we have tolerances. We want it to be perfect, but then you could do a design, for example, of, let's say, four foundations, you have different loads. So now what are you going to do? You know, ideal scenario would be you have the perfect size for a given load, but you're not going to end up having 20 different designs for it. It's important to remember that we have to be practical, we have to be safe, and we have to be, and that costs also plays a, a big role in what we do. When it comes to perfection, I remember back in college, we were talking about, I think it was a soils mechanic class. We were talking about consolidation. I think it was a time rate consolidation. So they show you this graph and they tell you that at maybe within six months, you reach 90% consolidation. But then for you to reach remaining 10%, it would take you maybe an additional six months. And you never get actually 100%. So that extra 9%, is it really worth all that time, all that money? Like, what is perfection? Is it getting to that 99%? Or is it really when you take all these different variables into account, the most effective solution, maybe that's what perfection is. Not always focusing on one item. Industry, there's a lot more variables involved.
0: Yep, so you're absolutely right. And if you kind of lose sight of the big picture, you can miss that. You know, you're fighting for that last fraction of a millimeter and it might not make a difference for the overall project. In some cases, it may, but in other cases, it may not. So it's like, you know, you have to make sure you're thinking about that.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Well, before we take our break, is there another, let's say, a final piece of advice you want to give engineers that are listening?
1: Take advantage of all the resources that are out there. When it comes to our industry experience, it's very important. But what is experience really? People think of it as, You know, the amount of time that you spend doing a task, like, oh, I've been, uh, I work in construction for like 10 years. Yeah, but what does it really mean? What have you done? In my position, I can stay maybe 10 years. And, you know, yes, I'll have some experience, but I can also go and tap into deep foundation, for example, DFI or ADSC or ASCE and build a network. Like I said the other day, I reached out to Donald Bruce, right? I just email him and I call him. And then here we are talking about micro I mean, that's something that would have taken me maybe an extra year to learn. And I learned all that stuff within 10 minutes, right? So just remember to build a network. You're not alone. There's a lot of people out there and they want to share. So take advantage of that.
0: That's great. The reality is that, you know, we're a part of an industry where people want to help. It's very rarely you're going to reach out to somebody and they say, no, I can't help you with that. So that's a great piece of advice. We're going to come back in just a moment, and we're going to close this one out with Maurice and our Career Factor Safety End Segment. Stick around. Welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor Safety End Segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design but what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we'll speak about Maurice DeYoung. Maurice, you've already had a successful career and you're still in your career, of course. (laughs) But when you look back at your career, what's one thing that you've implemented in your career to give yourself, let's call it a factor of safety in your career?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is always being up for a challenge. When certain assignments come, I'm not necessarily excited about them, but I just go and I give it a try, I give it a try. Like my mentor, Jim Riley would say, I'll do what I have to do and I'll do it gracefully because I'll do it anyhow. So that's the mentality I use. I go and I, and I just do a, you know, whatever they throw my way. And you know, I give it a try first. The other thing I would say would be, I specialize or I focus on in-house de- design or in-house engineering. I also spend some time doing other things like you know, field engineering, Estimating. So I'm somewhat well rounded. And I think that gives me an edge. They know that I can do pretty much, I could be involved in a lot of different departments. And I think it's also important when you specialize on one thing, I think it's important to know a little bit of everything that touches on that thing. So I think it makes you better. That's part of my safety factor. I don't think about it that way too much. I think the answer is around the following question, right? If you were to leave today, how would that impact your company? If you realize that, hey, if I leave today, that company, you know, it's going to affect the company greatly, then you know that you are an asset. And I think that's the greatest safety factor that you can.
0: The advice that you shared was great, not just for people starting out in their career, but, you know, seasoned professionals. So thank you for that. If somebody was listening and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? On social media or email you want to share, Maurice?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at uh, the Foundation Institute. I have an email. Uh, so it's M. Maurice, D I O N G, my last name, zero zero at gmail.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is a lot of fun, man. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode that being episode 35, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.